You are listening to a proper DBE podcast hosted by Georgia Abrams and brought to you by the Daughters of the British Empire. British Empire is a 501c3 nonprofit American Society of Women of British or Commonwealth birth or ancestry, sharing and promoting our heritage while supporting local charities and our senior living facilities across the US. The American Midwest is an unlikely backdrop for at least three monuments to British prime ministers. Nevertheless, they stand as reminders of history and the friendship between the U.S. and Britain. This week, we'll be discussing Winston Churchill's visit to Fulton, Missouri, and a chapel in Baldwin City, Kansas, dedicated by Margaret Thatcher. So, pour yourself a cup of tea and get comfortable. Let's hear who's joining me for this week's discussion. Um, I'm Mary Hawks. I was born in Kansas City, but my maternal grandparents were from Wales. And I've been with Bard of Avon Chapter in Kansas for 34 years. And right now I'm the recording secretary in Kansas. My name is Anne Robards. I was born in London and I grew up in Surrey, England. I lived in Kansas City for about 50 years. I retired in 2006. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida in 2013. I've been a member of DBE since 1973. I've served at all levels of the society, culminating as national president of the 28th administration. Currently, I'm regent of the Clarendon House chapter, which is the third chapter I have helped form during my tenure with DBE. I'm also proud to announce that I served about 12 years on the board of the British Home for Retired Men and Women, which is now known as the Cantata Corporation in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Brenda Marks. I was also born in London, but from the East End. And um, I now reside in Gladstone, Missouri, which puts me under the DBE in Kansas. And I belong to the Somerset House chapter. And I'm currently the co-Midwest District We'll start off with a statue titled Married Love, located on the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City, Missouri, which depicts Sir Winston and Lady Churchill. Patrons included Hallmark, founded by Joyce C. Hall, and the English-speaking Union, among many others. So let's hear about it. The statue itself is six feet tall by 12 feet wide. Winston is sitting in a very casual stance in his siren suit that he used to wear during the war. And uh, he's, he's sitting forward, kind of looking at the traffic in, on the plaza. And then Clemmy, his wife, is sitting and looking at him. And she's dressed in a big cape. It's a very unusual statue, I think, because it's just, you know, you, you normally don't see him in such a, a casual way. The English-speaking union is an international organization, huge international organization. And they decided, or it was decided by the government at that time, that they wanted to have a statute in Kansas City. And in order to do that, they'd had to raise an enormous amount of funds. They raised uh, in 1982, uh, they started collecting money and they had a, a show at the Folly Theater downtown on Sir Winston. 
and it was packed and they raised money. And from then till 1984, when we actually received the statue, they uh, accumulated $250,000 okay. for the statue. But the, the English-speaking union, and I, I don't know for sure, but at that time, the um, ambassador to Britain was from Kansas City. And I think maybe that had something to do with it. And that was why Kansas City was selected. And also, along with the connection of the um, Iron Curtain speech by Churchill. And that's why they did that, as an honor and, and as a reverence to the Churchill. It was unveiled in, on uh, May the 12th. 1984. It was a huge ceremony. I mean, they had hundreds of people at the plaza. And then that evening, um, and of course, the um, the Duke of Marlborough was there. Edwina Sanders, Winston Churchill's granddaughter, was there. And in, then in the evening, um, there was a banquet. I was fortunate enough at that time, I was happened to be president of the DBE state of Kansas at that time. And as a representative of the British community in Kansas City, I and the president of the St. Andrews Society were invited to attend the banquet. And it was, it was quite lovely. It really was. And I'll never forget it. I was just going to add that Joyce Hall had a lot to do with getting the statue on the plaza because... Um, he was the president of Hallmark and, and a total church, church Churchillophile. <laughs> he loved Churchill. So he also was instrumental in getting the statue on the plaza. You had asked whether the DBE had any connection mm-hmm. between the statue on the, on the plaza. And I, I started thinking about this. And I think that we do in that during the 28th administration, we had our triennial meeting on the plaza right by the hotel, by the statue. And we celebrated the 60th anniversary of D-Day. And uh, we did that by asking all of our members who were alive and can remember World War II to write their memories in a book. And we gave that book away at that meeting to everybody. And wow. that was our way of, of of recognizing it and revering it. And so I think we, we do have a connection. I, I also think that one of our members, Marjorie Edwards, she had a connection with, I think she knew Charles Price, right? She knew Charles Price. And that I think was another, another link for the, yeah. for yeah. the uh, statute. And of course she was instrumental in, in getting all that money together. She was an amazing fundraiser. And wasn't she a dame? Didn't she get? She, she MBA. MBA. MBA, yeah. Married Love was designed by Oscar Neyman, a Croatian sculptor born in 1906 who was best known for his many publicly displayed statues of Churchill. Here's Anne to talk about their relationship. Oscar Neyman, he was, he was born in 1906. He's from Yugoslavia, the Balkans. He, he fled to Great Britain in 1930 and all of his, he lost nearly all of his family in the Holocaust. And he met Churchill in Marrakesh in 1951. Their, their relationship goes back many, many years. It lasted many, many years. And he met him in Marrakesh 
and he he did a terracotta bust of him there. And that terracotta bust, um, Lady Churchill ended up with that. She wanted it because she said that he he, he denoted Churchill in in a way that she remembers him and that and, and as she thinks of him. And it was that look on his face when he had that slight grin on his face, and she just loved it. Well, the next year, 1952, the Queen wanted a bust of of Winston Churchill, and uh, he recommended Oscar Naiman. And from then on, it, it snowballed. He did a bronze statue, of course, which is standing in the uh, Houses of Parliament today. He has done so many. In fact, all over the world, you will find Oscar Naiman statues of Churchill. And I can tell you where they are. They're in England, they're all over England too. They're in uh, Bletchley Park, of course, Chartwell, Cambridge, the, the one in the Houses of Parliament, Dover, Western in Kent, Windsor. Then in Europe, they're in Brussels, Copenhagen, Luxembourg, Monte Carlo, Paris. They're in Moscow, Zagreb, there's one, Israel, Quebec in Canada, Toronto, um, Edmonton, Halifax, also in Australia, in Canberra, and in Mexico City. Wow. The interesting thing about the one in Kansas City is that is a large edition of one that they have in Blenheim Palace. He originally did the one in Blenheim Palace, and it's a smaller one. And then this one, which was done in 1984, is, is larger than the one in, uh, in Blenheim Palace. And one would think, I, it is reasonable to assume that the one in Kansas City is is the last, if not nearly the last one that he ever made, because he, he died the next year in 1985. Uh, by the way, not only is there the other statue at Blenheim, but there's a little one about a foot, well, maybe not even a foot wide at Chartwell. My right. friends and I were, we went, we walked into Chartwell and there was married love sitting on the entryway table, this little statue of it. And of course we all, we all said, Oh, gosh, you know, there's married love. And of course, the people at Chartwell said, do you know what that is? And we said, (laughs) we're from Kansas City. And they immediately knew, you know, that we knew we understood the connection. It was fun. You wonder too, that it doesn't come into a little little bit into play because Churchill's mother was American, right? Absolutely. You know, Churchill was so so famous and, and greatly admired by so many, that was a point of pride, I would think, that he was half American. I mean, he he embodied that relationship between between England, you know, the the British and the... That's true. That's true. Can you talk a little bit about what Chartwell is? Chartwell was uh, Churchill's, what would you say, his country home? Yes, his country home. Country home. And um, he bought it very quickly. And Clementine was not real happy about it, I don't think. I think it was rather run down when he bought it. And so she she would complain a, a bit about it. But the view and the surroundings of Chartwell are just incredibly beautiful. And I think she realized, you know, that's why he bought it. It's a very homey house. It's, uh, it's not a mansion or anything. It's just it, it is it is a mansion in a way, but it's a home. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a home. very homey. No, I was I was talking about the relationship between Naaman and Churchill, and and it was clear that they they had a wonderful relationship over the years. Naaman 
actually said that Churchill was one of the most remarkable personalities of all time. And Churchill obviously felt very strongly about Naaman. When they, when they first met in Marrakesh, Churchill, who at that time, was, of course, was an aspiring artist himself, actually did a terracotta bust of Naaman. And, that, and you can find that, that that is actually at Blenheim now. That, that's actually in the museum there. Two men over the years, how different they were and, and how they came from such different backgrounds and yet how close they became and how much they revered each other. The speech previously mentioned is the Sinews of Peace speech, more commonly known as the Iron Curtain speech, delivered by Churchill on the campus of Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, on March 5, 1946. It is now known as one of his most significant speeches, and it emphasized the special relationship between the U.S. and Great Britain, as well as warning of Soviet expansion and marking the beginnings of the Cold War. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. President Truman, who had just taken over after Roosevelt's death, wanted to have Churchill come because Churchill had been defeated uh, as a politician. And he wanted Churchill to come and speak about world affairs at the dedication of this Westminster College. And Truman thought it would be great to, you know, to have him come. And so uh, there was a presidential train from D.C. to Fulton, Missouri, which Churchill rode on. They all traveled there. And then they, he did the famous Iron Curtain speech there uh, at Westminster. And um, there, there was a famous poker game on the train, by the way. Truman thought that it would be appropriate for, for Churchill to speak about the state of the world at that time. And uh, he really knocked it out of the park because he, he made this incredibly uh, memorable speech about how Russia was trying to dominate Europe. It's the famous Iron Curtain speech. And of course, the real Iron Curtain came down in 1961 when the Berlin Wall was built. Of course, Westminster's campus has commemorated this piece of history in its own way. There's another statue of Churchill speaking at a podium, as well as a sculpture created by Churchill's granddaughter, and the National Churchill Museum located in a particularly interesting building. It's actually, it's, it was actually made by Edwina Sandys, who Anne mentioned. Uh, Edwina Sandys is uh, Churchill's granddaughter. It's a sculpture a memorial to the Cold War. And you could say that the Iron Curtain speech warned us about the Cold War. So there is a memorial on the campus and it's a sculpture and it's actually made from eight sections of the Berlin Wall. And when, she, when Edwina Sandis sculpted, sculpted this, she put a figure, I would say like a, an opening into the wall two openings, one a woman and one a man, showing that, you know, people were freed from the wall. You know, when they could go through the wall, they could, they could be free. But I thought that was interesting that his granddaughter made the statue on the campus where he made this speech. There's also a statue of him in the little museum there. Is that? Yes, yes. And he's, I think he's speaking, isn't he speaking, at a micro, he's speaking into a microphone. 
I know he's he's standing, so yeah, you know, at the yeah. height that's like true to his natural yeah. stature. Have you been to the museum? I, I have mm-hmm. the one in Westminster. I have. Yes, yeah, it's very good. And that's in very the good. that's in the basement of the church that was moved over there. Is that right? The museum is actually under the church that they brought over stone by stone. It was a originally a 12th century church. And then Christopher Wren redesigned it in 1677. Gorgeous, beautiful church. And they it was going to be demolished in England. And so Westminster found out about it and said, Well, you know, could you dismantle it and we will we'll have it over here? And so they put it on the campus in Fulton. And I think there's an interesting story, and it might be for another day, but when they talk about how they had to number, did they not yeah. number the stones so they'd know yes. how to reassemble it? Each stone had to have like a code on it, you know, like like one B, so yeah. they know where how to put it. St. Mary the Virgin, Alder Manbury was originally designed by Sir Christopher Wren in 1677 after the original 12th century structure was destroyed by the Great Fire of London in 1666. On December 29, 1940, after the Germans dropped an estimated 20,000 bombs over London, St. Mary suffered a direct hit. How poignant of a memorial for the man that led Britain through the war. Churchill said about the moving of the church, quote, I am honored. The removal of a ruined Christopher Wren church, largely destroyed by enemy action in London, and its reconstruction rededication in Fulton is an imaginative concept. It may symbolize in the eyes of the English-speaking peoples the ideals of Anglo-American association on which rest, now as before, so many of our hopes for peace and the future of mankind. End quote. St. Mary's is not the only church to have been moved brick by brick from England to the Midwest. When Daniel Lambert took the position of university president, he found that Baker University, a Methodist institution, was lacking a chapel and made it his mission to find one. Now, Baker has a study abroad program with Harlexton Manor in Grantham, Lincolnshire, in the region where Methodism emerged no less. And one of the professors there just happened to know of a place that might fit the bill. In Sprosen, Leicestershire, the Methodist chapel, originally constructed in 1864, had been sitting abandoned for seven years after it could no longer be supported by its congregation. So, in 1995, Baker University began moving it to Kansas. It would also be discovered that Lady Margaret Thatcher, who grew up in Grantham, attended services at Sprosen Methodist as her father was a lay minister who sometimes preached there. So it was arranged that she would go to Kansas and dedicate the reconstructed chapel, now known as the Claris L. Osborne Memorial Chapel. Thatcher spent time touring the rebuilt chapel and talking about her memories there. These are just two examples of the memorialized friendship between Britain and the U.S., but how meaningful is it that people think it's important enough to spend so much effort and money to move entire buildings as symbols of that relationship? Yes, just because my son was going there on, on a football interest. So I did see it, but I unfortunately, it was a guided campus tour and I didn't get to go inside it. But yeah, I was surprised it's quite small, really. Knowing that it came from such a small town, I guess it makes sense. But I think it's really interesting that we have these two churches that have been 
disassembled and moved over here and rebuilt. And they both have, in one way or another, they both have these connections to former prime ministers. I just think that's really interesting. And why do you think people thought it was important enough to move an entire church from one country to another to commemorate these events or these people or these places? In America, they do tend to tear things down, you know, the minute they're sort of not in use, they tend to discard them. And so you have a lot of people that really, that's what they love about England. They'll all say it's so old, you know, Mm -hmm. they just love all those old buildings. And it's a wonderful way to just get a little piece of that and bring it here. Yeah. Well, I think the the, the, the statue, for example, is, is certainly an enduring and lasting symbol of the uh, relationship and friendship between America and Great Britain, mm-hmm. two English-speaking peoples. There's no question about it. And I think that's a, a, a way of recognizing it and revering it. That's it for today's episode. If you have any other examples of people or events being commemorated in the U.S. from anywhere in the Commonwealth, we'd love to hear them. You can send us an email, podcast at dbenational.org. If you're hearing about the DBE for the first time, please visit our website, dbenational.org. I have linked the National Churchill Museum's website in the show notes, as well as an article with many more details about Thatcher's visit to Kansas if you'd like to learn more about that. I'd like to thank Mary, Anne, and Brenda for joining me today. I'd also like to thank all of you listening for tuning in each week. I hope you're telling your friends to do the same. Until next time, not ourselves, but the cause.